Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hi, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. Welcome back. I'm glad that you joined me today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been told that you weren't qualified for something? It's kind of the worst, honestly, being told that you're not good enough for something or that you don't fit the prototype. At least, I think for me, that's how it feels when I realize or I'm told that I just don't qualify. So 20 years ago, my wife and I settled down after college and after a few years of me chasing my dream of being a rock star, and when I quit music, I knew that I was going to have to get a real job to actually pay real bills, which I probably had not been doing much of when I was playing music. So I started applying in all of the places that I could find, and that's when I ran into some problems. You see, right out of high school, I went to Bible college, and right out of Bible college, I started playing and touring in rock bands. So basically, to sum up my resume, and to sum up my academic and professional career experience, um, I I could write, play, and perform music, and I knew a lot about the Bible and history. And what I soon discovered was that most workplaces are not looking for someone who can lead a Bible study and play guitar. Uh, Just like Napoleon Dynamite, I had skills. I just had no skills that employers were looking for. I didn't meet any of their qualifications. Uh, I tried to get on State Farm, unqualified. Country companies, unqualified. I tried to get into a computer programming course at ISU, unqualified. I even eventually applied for a ministry position where I would have been leading worship at a local church, which you would think would be a good fit, unqualified. I didn't even get an interview for that job. So I finally got a job at a local collection agency whose basic entry-level qualifications were this. Can you talk on the phone? And are you willing to collect debts from people? Of which I could do both. So finally, I qualified. Qualifiers are designed to get the right people in and keep the wrong people out. Like a job, a school. I mean, you can imagine, right? And qualifiers can actually be good or they can also be bad. I mean, we qualify people for friendship based on shared interests. That's kind of good. But we also qualify people for inclusion into our group based on their appearance or looks. Not great. I mean, historically, people have been excluded because of their race, their gender, their nation of origin, or their financial status. Each of them were qualified or disqualified by factors that were completely out of their control. And if qualifiers can be good or bad, I think that the most important thing that we can do is see them clearly, to know exactly what they are. What are the things that qualify people? And and I I wanna ask this, what, what qualifies a person to be part of the church? I mean, churches put up signs that say, come as you are, or welcome home, or all are welcome. But all you have to do is look around most churches and see how everyone looks the same, talks the same, dresses the same, lives the same to realize that there are some qualifications at work, even if they aren't in writing anywhere. Which leads to an even bigger question. What qualifies a person to know God or to be a part of what he's doing in the world, to be part of his kingdom? I mean, surely there has to be some sort of qualification to get the right people in and keep the wrong people out of something that's as as important as God's domain. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we find ourselves in Matthew 9, verse 27. 
It said that after Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. So we are here in Matthew chapter 9. And and in this chapter, what we're really seeing is kind of a day in the life of Jesus. Uh, And that day in the life included some teaching at the beginning. Uh, Then it included healing a woman who had internal bleeding. and, And then raising a dead girl to life. And the day isn't even over yet because after he leaves the home of the girl who he had raised from the dead, these two blind men begin chasing after Jesus and yelling out to them, or yelling out to him. And and here, I want you to pay attention to what they called Jesus. They called him son of David. This is an important term. And I want to make sure we understand it. Now, we've talked about how Matthew's purpose in writing his gospel was to prove to a Jewish audience that Jesus was the Messiah, which Messiah is basically, it's a Hebrew word meaning anointed one. And the Messiah was who the Jewish people were waiting for, the anointed one who would come and save them from Roman occupation and set up a new powerful nation of Israel. And this idea of a coming Messiah, of this powerful king who's anointed by God to set up a new kingdom, this idea came from, from writings that were found in the Jewish scriptures. And for example, we're going to look at one in Jeremiah 22, verse 5. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. And in that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. So this prophecy, this passage, it was written 600 years before Jesus was born. And it was written at a time when the people of Israel had just been conquered by Babylon and then sent into exile, taken away from their land and taken into Babylon. Their nation, their temple, everything had been destroyed. And now they were looking ahead to this savior who would rescue them, who would take back their land and establish a new kingdom. Here's another example in Isaiah 16, verse 4. When oppression and destruction have ended and enemy raiders have disappeared, then God will establish one of David's descendants as king. He will rule with mercy and truth. He will always do what is just and be eager to do what is right. Here again, we see that God will establish one of David's descendants as king. Son of David, the name that the blind men were yelling to get Jesus' attention, was a term that was used for the Jewish Messiah, the anointed one. And and we don't know if these men really believed that Jesus was the Messiah or if they were just using that term to flatter Jesus to get his attention. But we can assume that these blind guys were aware that Jesus could heal people and that he was close enough that maybe he could heal them. So they followed the crowds that that are all around Jesus, somehow just yelling out and trying to get his attention. Story continues in 9.28. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? So I kind of love this, that these blind men followed Jesus, yelling to try and get his attention, all the way back to the house where he was staying, and then they went right into the house. Like, they just went in. I mean, they probably thought that if anyone called them on it, they could just be like, Oh, dude, I'm blind. I'm sorry, I didn't know. But... But when they get to Jesus, Jesus asks them a question. Do you believe I can make you see? Story continues. Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. And then he touched their eyes and he said, because of your faith, it will happen. 
Then their eyes were opened and they could see. And Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. So if you've been with us in this Miracles message series at all, this is a very familiar scene. A sick person brought to Jesus and with a touch, Jesus healed the two blind men. And I want to point out another important thing that's happening here too. The blind men called Jesus son of David. Remember, it's a term for the Jewish Messiah or anointed one who was going to come and he was going to establish a new kingdom under the power and anointing of God. But the fact that these guys were blind was also not something that first century Jews who were themselves looking for the coming Messiah, their blindness wasn't something they would miss. So, Why was healing their blindness an important thing in this whole Messiah conversation? Well, check it out in Isaiah chapter 35. It says, Be strong and do not fear, for God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. When God returns with his anointed one, to conquer the enemies of Israel. The mute will sing, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, and the blind will see. As we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, we've already seen a paralyzed man get up and walk. And now, we've seen the blind healed. And in the same story, where Jesus is referred to by a name that is reserved for the Messiah, God's anointed one, the one who's going to usher in a new kingdom. It's so clear what Matthew is saying as he writes all these things down. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's anointed one. He is the one who has come to establish a new kingdom. Now, the problem is, is that the people had that kingdom wrong. They were expecting a political kingdom. They were expecting one in which the Messiah would militarily overthrow Rome their enemy, and build a literal national government which he would rule over as king. But that's not the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. The kingdom of God Jesus came to establish is an eternal kingdom. And it's not one of overthrow and violence, but it's a kingdom of restoration and reconciliation. It's not a kingdom of killing and political power, but it's one of resurrection and love. The Jewish people thought this new kingdom of God would be one that restored them to national and political prominence in the world. But God's kingdom isn't about resurrecting and restoring a nation to make it great again. It's about resurrecting and restoring all of creation and all of humanity. And Jesus has been showing us these small pictures of what that looks like throughout all of these stories of healing. Because when he healed people, Jesus wasn't showing us that his plan is for no one to ever be sick. I mean, last week we pointed out that everyone Jesus ever healed still died eventually. Rather, Jesus is showing us his big picture cosmic plan to ultimately heal all of creation, to restore it to the perfect balance that he intended before sin broke everything. And and it's both a kingdom that is here right now and that will someday come into full fruition. And his followers, his people, the big C church, are the place where broken creation and his new kingdom are coming together 
in the here and now. His kingdom is literally heaven on earth right now. The restoration process that began with Jesus and continues through us until one day it is fully realized. And it's super important that we understand what Jesus's kingdom is because it brings us back around to our very first question. What qualifies us to be part of the kingdom of God? What qualifications do we need to have to, to be part of this new thing, this new order that God is putting together under Jesus? I mean, religious people have been wrestling with this question for years. And, and to look at many churches on the surface, it might be easy to assume that we're qualified by our behavior, by doing more good things and less bad things or that we're qualified by our religious orthodoxy, that we believe the right and wrong things about what's right and wrong. And at worst, you could assume that we are qualified for the kingdom because we fit the template of the American evangelical church. You know, a, a mom and a dad, two and a half kids, one dog, work hard, vote Republican, shop at Old Navy, maintain a pristine social media image. But the truth is that none of that qualifies a person to be part of God's kingdom. Not behavior, not memorizing the Bible, not looking, or sounding, or living like the American religious dream. There is one thing that qualifies you to be part of what God is doing in this world. One thing that allows you entry into his kingdom. And we see it in something Jesus said to the blind men. And we can see it right here in Matthew 9, 28 and 29. Because of your faith, it will happen. It's faith. Faith in Jesus is the one and only thing that qualifies anyone to be part of the kingdom of God, believing in him. And it is not like, not this like, I believe Jesus existed, but a trust in him to show you how to live. Belief that his way is the best way to live as a human being. I think it's interesting that before he healed these guys, he asked the blind men, do you believe I can make you see? Because he could have asked, before I heal you, I need to know, do you follow all the commandments? Do you believe all the Jewish scriptures? Do you pay your tithe? I mean, Jesus didn't even ask them to acknowledge or admit their sin. He just asked if they believed he could do something in their lives. Why? Because he was testing their qualifications. He was asking about their faith. And it doesn't take much searching to see the premium that Jesus put on faith. I mean, look at this. In Matthew 8, 13, it says, Because you believed, it has happened. He said this when he was healing the Roman centurion's servant. In Matthew 8, 26, Jesus says, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Jesus said this to his disciples when he calmed the storm at sea when they were all out in the boat. Matthew 9, 2 says this, Seeing their faith. This is when Jesus saw the faith of a paralyzed man and his friends before he healed the paralyzed man. Matthew 9, 22, your faith has made you well. He said this to the woman who had internal bleeding. And in Mark 5, 36, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just have faith. He said this to Jairus, the man whose daughter had died just before he raised her from the dead. Over and over and over again, Jesus points to faith. Faith in Jesus is the ticket into his kingdom. And I want to be super clear, okay? I am not saying 
that faith is the key to being healed. As if being sick and not being healed is somehow a proof that you don't have enough faith. I know that there's people who teach that, but, but that is just not what Jesus is doing. Jesus' healing miracles are not the goal, but they're signposts pointing to something bigger, a bigger cosmic healing of all of creation, a restoration of heaven and earth into a kingdom where all of the brokenness of this world is restored. And faith is the entry fee. Remember this, faith in Jesus qualifies anyone to be part of the kingdom of God. And before you listen to this and think that putting faith in Jesus is too hard or too complicated or it doesn't make sense, realize this. We put faith in things all the time. You put faith in your brakes to work every time you drive. You put faith in the people who prepare your food, that they're doing it in a way that's not going to make you sick. You, we put enough faith in a bunch of strangers at a school to drop our kids off there every day for nine months out of the year. Get this, nearly half of all marriages end in divorce, which means just statistically, with one-to-one with -one odds, your marriage will, will end. But then like, even if, you, if you've been married at all, you have put faith in your partner that there's a 50% chance that you're going to make it. You put your faith in them that you will make it. Hebrews 11, one, one through three says this, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We use faith every day. It's one of the most human things we do. And to be part of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is simply asking us to put our faith in him, to have the confidence that the life we hope for can be found in him, to have the assurance that even though we can't see him or his kingdom, that they are at work healing our lives and our world. This is the mystery that we see in the miracles of Jesus, okay? We see this, this tension. Jesus has the power to heal, but those who receive it are those with faith. Jesus was beginning his work of rescuing and saving the world from everything that was polluting and destroying it. And those who benefit from his saving work are those who believe, who have faith. Faith is the space in which God and people come together. And he's inviting you to step into that space today. And you are qualified simply by saying the same thing the blind men said when Jesus asked if they believed that he could heal them. And they said this, yes, Lord, we do. So today, will you accept Jesus's invitation? into his kingdom, into what God is doing, into his cosmic healing and restoring plan to restore all of creation. Will you say yes to step into the kingdom that is eventually someday when everything is totally restored and yet is also still right now, a kingdom where we accept his lordship of our lives by faith. And whether it's a lot of faith or a little faith, the measure isn't relevant the saying yes is. So whether you come to Jesus today with any teeny tiny little bit of faith or a whole big lot of faith, that's all you need to be qualified to enter into his family, to enter into relationship with him, to enter into what he's doing in this world, and to enter in and be part of his kingdom. And I hope that today you will say yes. 
Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 